Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Michigan State against Washington on the shores of Lake Washington at 4.30 this afternoon. Weather for those out of town, expected in the low 60s, and when you get down on uh, Husky, in Husky Stadium down by the lake, it's always a little bit cooler. Slight chance of rain, so maybe be a little bit prepared, but uh, that 4.30 kickoff on ABC, big exposure game for Washington, and it just seems like you know, uh, Chris, that both of these teams so far are running pretty much parallel with two easy games, preseason games, and coming into this game with lots of question marks on both sides of the ball for each team. I suppose. I don't know, question marks. Yeah, I mean, sure, it's third game of the season, so I guess every team's got to have question marks. I, I'm kind of wondering which streak's going to get broken here because it's been 21 years since Washington beat at home a ranked Power 5 non-conference opponent. Michigan in 2001 was the last time they did that before it's been like Boise State a couple times. It's been BYU, but they have not done it to a power five team. And it's amazing to me. It's been 21 years. And then you go back and look at it from the Michigan State angle. I know all their fans are flipping, flipping out because they haven't won a game out west in it seems like decades. So which streak's going to be broken? That's the kind of the one thing, overarching thing that I'm kind of wondering because both these teams obviously spy a tremendous opportunity to get a, a pretty big monkey off their bank early in the season. Mel, uh, Mel Tucker coming over from Colorado. What was he there one year or two years, Scott? Uh, I believe he was there one year. Yes. And, and then uh, moving over to Michigan state had a successful year and signed a huge, huge deal, keeping him in Michigan state for a while. Yeah, signed that after he beat Michigan, basically. I mean, that that's what everybody went off of. And and after watching that game, I thought Kenneth, Wa Kenneth Walker was the shoe-in to become the um, 
Heisman Trophy winner. He didn't end up being that way last year, but man, he looked so good. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he got the the fan base riled up and and they were all excited about it. And and he he loves to recruit. He's out on the recruiting trail. He's very aggressive. And I think they just wanted to. They think they think they got something that they can work with here over the next five to ten years. Yeah, and what's interesting is Mel Tucker. It was uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the running back he brought with him from Colorado. That was um, Jerry Broussard. Yeah, uh, you know they've got a couple of backs uh, that they really like at Michigan State, but what, the one for, that he brought from Colorado is really going to help that running game. Yeah, I, I mean he's not even their top ball carrier though. I mean he's he's the he's kind of the complementary back to Jalen Berger. Um, but I mean, they both get about the average, the same. I mean, Berger's got 33 carries. Jerick, uh, Broussard has 25, um, Berger averages 6.9 per carry and, and Broussard averages 5.4. So, you know, I, I think Berger's kind of your, your big guy. He's the bigger, more power guy, um, for Michigan state. He's six, one, a little over 200 pounds, whereas Broussard is smaller than that. And uh, but both of those guys can carry the rock and and uh, carry the big workload. Chris, is it me or is it just seem like when you take a look at the programs, Washington and Michigan State, and you look at the perception of the program and you look at their history over the past 20, 30 years, they seem to run quite a bit in parallel and seem real similar. I don't know. I mean, I haven't really taken a look at it from that kind of historical perspective, because outside of the 1997 Aloha Bowl, they haven't actually had a home home since 69-70. So that's 50 years plus. So it's it's been a long time. Um, I'm sure there's been a lot of intrigue from Washington's side in terms of not just Michigan State, but maybe some of these other Big Ten programs that they'd love to have home and homes with, whether it's Michigan State, Penn State. Um, you know, I know that they've obviously had Ohio State and Michigan before, um, you know, but there's other programs like Iowa, for instance. I think, you know, that'd be interesting. So I think Michigan State just definitely falls in that category of a, of a program that probably from afar has been uh, one of those program that Washington fans have admired and and have done big things. But, uh, you know, we don't get to see them actually have a home home series until this year and next year. Yeah. And you just take a look at this game. And um, I think the big question is uh, health wise, how is Washington going to be in stopping that Michigan State um, offense? With especially with losing Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon, the depth in the defensive secondary is really thin, you know, and you've got, you know, uh, Perryman, who was injured in the first game of the year and then didn't dress last year. Elijah, excuse me, didn't dress last week. Elijah Jackson didn't suit last week. And then Devon Banks went out, which looked to be a concussion. So um, are you a little concerned about that secondary depth, Scott? Yes, absolutely. I am. Um, I, I like what Julius Irvin brings to the, the table. Don't get me wrong, but you know, in my opinion, Jordan Perryman's still your best cover guy. And, uh, Michelle Powell, I think is still, I don't want to call him a liability, but he's not, he, he is not a lockdown guy. He's not a guy who I think he'd be better off as your third corner. I think he'd better be, might be even better off as more of the Husky. Um, guy, but that's not where you're going to be playing him. So what I'll be interested to see is, um, do they, do they move Dominic Hampton outside and put Cam Fab at the, at the, uh, Husky spot? It, you know, and this is all, you know, predicated on the fact is Jordan Perryman going to play? Is he going to be a hundred percent healthy? So we'll have to wait and see, uh, when we get down on the field or later today, um, to, to check them out for warmups and everything like that. 
is he suited up? Is he going through drills? Because if he isn't, then Washington's going to have to make some moves. Hopefully the coaches have planned for that. You would think they would have. Um, so, um, but you know, it's, it's not, a, it's not an ideal situation, especially when you talk about the, the best unit on that offense is probably the, um, the uh, wide receiver group and, and that wide receiver group can go up and make some catches. So, um, Peyton Thorne can be picked off, but, you know, I, I think Washington is going to have their work cut out for them if Jordan Perryman isn't back 100% healthy. Hey, Chris, when you take a look at the first couple of games from Washington in that defensive secondary, there were some pass interference calls, guys getting beat deep, not necessarily passes completed, you know, because, you know, first of all, pass interference calls, second of all, bad throws. But it looks like Washington, you know, their corners had gotten beaten over the top a few times the uh, opposition wasn't able to take advantage of it but how much of that is scheme we've been talking about this for quite some time in Washington safeties you can actually see on the TV screen because they're not playing well off and those deep passes how much of that is because they don't have those two deep safeties and they don't have that over the top guy helping on those deep routes well they'll mix it up from time to time but yeah generally speaking they're going to put their corners on the islands and let them do their thing. And and we were told very, very early on that this was going to be a different scheme uh, in terms of how the secondary was used. They wouldn't have kind of that umbrella coverage. They would, they would, you know, try to maybe have their safeties a little bit closer in the box if they, if they could to help with the run. And I think that's shown itself up a little bit. Um, but yeah, we were told that uh, they wanted to get a lot more upfield pressure, you know, especially in the front. And they would hope that that would pay dividends over the course of a game even if they ended up maybe giving up a shot or two um, because they felt if they could, if they could get the quarterback on the ground and get some negative plays, you know, that would help them get off, get their defense off the field a lot faster. Um, You know, we saw it against Kent state. They gave up a shot or two, but I think the, the improvement from week one to week two really shored things up, especially along that front and uh, was allowed them to, to get the quarterback down on the ground, which they weren't able to do against Kent state. So I think that they've, you know, that there there's certainly some things in the secondary that Scott laid out that I think could be intriguing options, you know, whether it's moving Dominique Hampton outside, you know, bringing in Fabi Kalanen to, to, to be the main Husky. Um, I think Julius Irvin, it's interesting if you followed at all Jacoby Winman from Michigan State, his ascension, you know, they didn't think he was going to be an edge player until they just decided that, oh, he might be our best edge player on the entire team. And now all of a sudden that guy is playing like ZTF did two years ago. I mean, he's just having monster numbers. What we may find out is we may find out over the course of the season, guys, that Julius Irvin ends up being their best cover corner. And he was a guy that wasn't even a corner going into fall camp. So it's, you know, it's fascinating how these things work out. And, and you really, it really does stress the coaching staff to try to make sure that they're getting their best 11 on the field. And that's why I think that that idea that Scott floated in terms of getting Dominique Campton and Cam, uh, Cam Fab out there at the same time might be the way they go. And Scott, you hear more of this with offense rather than defense, but with this new coaching staff, um, this new defensive scheme that they're running, some people think that they've maybe have held some things back until Michigan State. Again, you probably would think of that more on offense or defense. But do you think what we have seen the first two games, what we've seen is what we're going to get uh, this afternoon? I think you'll see some new wrinkles and some different things that they wind up doing. But I, I, 
you know, I've been pretty outward about this, that I don't think they held anything back from a schematic standpoint. I, I just I think they wanted to go out and, and get work in and, and do what they needed to do to get those wins over Portland State and Kent State. And, um, you know, I think you're going to see some new wrinkles and some different things going on. But I think schematically, I don't think we're going to see much different from Washington defensively or offensively. Maybe a blitz from a different uh, you know side or maybe they send a guy and drop a guy out that they hadn't put on film yet. But for the most part, I think what you what you've seen is what you're going to get from this uh, from this, uh, you know, from this team. Yeah, and we've been talking about this for quite some time, Chris. This is not an elite defense, and we expect them to be kind of a middle-of-the-road defense. But you know, with taking a look at what Michigan State does specifically with their running game in Washington, as you know, they've been okay up front, but you know, this is going to be a big test for Washington up front with the running backs that uh, uh, Michigan State has, and. I, you know, from my talking to the Michigan State guys, they're a little concerned with their offensive line. They don't uh, have any really true tackles on the team. The tackles that they're using, they've got one transfer and guys that they've converted over to tackle from guard. But I think that's going to be a real interesting matchup to keep on top of is uh, Michigan State's offensive line versus Washington's uh, defensive line. Yeah, and and I think that if I remember correctly, watching the Akron game, I think their left tackle ended up going out of the game. Horst, if I remember right. So I'm not sure if he's if he's iffy for for today or not. Well, obviously we're gonna have to check. I mean, there's a number of guys for for Michigan State that we're gonna be checking on to see if they're if they're if they traveled or not. But yeah, there's no doubt that that Washington's gonna have to do some things. And I echo what Scott said in terms of schematically. I don't think they've held anything back. But injuries themselves, whether it's Perryman or or, or others, you know, we mentioned Devon Banks, we mentioned those guys. You know, it's it's a situation where they're going to have to adjust. I mean, this is constantly going to be a, a situation where you have to adjust based on personnel, what you have available, what you can reasonably expect guys can do. Um, you know, so for a guy like Perryman, if he doesn't come out, well, we can look up to the to the defensive line, for instance. We look at a guy like uh, MJ Ale. Well, we we talked all week with the coaches and players, and 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 basically the plan was was to get him get the rush shaken off for the Kent State and Portland State games, get him reps and reps, and then this would be the game where he basically was taken off the leash and he can go. So we'll see we'll see how much of an impact that makes, for instance. Um, but yeah, there you know you look at the you look at Michigan State's offensive line, you look at that run game. You know, I just went back and looked at the stats for Broussard when he played for Colorado last year against Washington, 12 carries for 43 yards guys. And that, and that was at Colorado. Right. So it's like, you know, I know he's done well so far this year, but there was something about that when I saw him and I was like, is that really the same guy? Because I don't think that's, that's the guy that went off for like 300 against Arizona that one game. Um, This is a guy that can kind of run hot and cold. To be honest with you, I think Berger is a little bit more of the of the guy that that could cause problems for Washington. If you're really looking for uh, some chink in the armor where where Washington really needs to be on their uh, on their P's and Q's and really need to show a lot of gap integrity and and run fits and those kinds of things. I think Berger, the kid from Wisconsin, is the guy that they really have to look for. Yeah, and then in addition, again, talking to my Michigan State guy, Stephen Brooks, and uh, there's a podcast up from yesterday going over each position for Michigan State. 
and Scott, you've dissected, you know, a couple of their games, but uh, Thorne, they're pretty nervous about him. They say he pretty much runs hot and cold. Yeah, he'll spray the ball around a little bit, and um, he's got four touchdowns, three interceptions. He's completing a little, you know, in today's offenses, you want to be 60 to 60, act probably more like 62 to 64 percent, and, and theirs is a ball control offense, although they will throw it down the field quite a bit, but you know, he's only completing 57.7% of his passes. So the, he can he can be a guy that you can get after a little bit. Um, I think where Washington is really the, – the biggest key to the game is Washington being able to stop the run on first and second down for Michigan State. And if you can put them in, in third and long situations, that means like third and six, third and seven or longer, um, then you can have guys like – Braylon Trice, like ZTF, like Smalls, like Martin, all pin their ears back and just go, and because uh, they aren't going to run it on you, um, and, you know, in those situations most likely. So, um, you know, and and that's where Washington, I think, can be really uh, impactful and have and have a huge um, uh, positive on their side is the pass rush, but uh, it's going to be a huge key in keeping them in you know, in less than third and four. And <clears throat> I, I really think that uh, Thorne is probably the weak link on their, on their offense. But, um, you know, I, I watched some of his throws. He can throw it down the field a little bit better than some of the other quarterbacks they've had, but um, he'll, he's erratic. He, and, and you can force him to make some bad throws. What I thought was interesting was uh, again, talking to Stephen Brooks yesterday and asking him what he thought the game would come down to. And I think he may be correct, and it's uh, whose defense gets shredded in the air because uh, Michigan State seems to have their issues at, on the defensive secondary as well. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, Michigan State has some some question marks on their secondary. It's it, but Chris has already alluded to the fact that you know their Jacoby Windham, you know, he leads the nation in sacks, five and a half. You're going to have to keep him off of uh, Michael Penix. If you can keep Michael Penix upright, Washington should be able to put up some yards and some points through the air. Well, if they can keep Michael Penix upright, that brings us back to the offensive line. Are we going to see Jackson Kirkland today, Chris? That's the $64 question, isn't it? I think it's more uh, than that. <laughs> I mean, it, we'll know we'll know in a, in a number of hours here when those guys come off the field. It, it, do I have a hunch? Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see him. I just don't think we're going to see him. I don't know if that means that they've been holding him out till Pac-12 play. I just don't know. But I just have not gotten the sense that, I mean, they keep talking about how they expect to see him, how he's available, how he should be available. But they're, you know, but it's, everything has been qualified. And I'm not, I'm not saying the coaches are deliberately trying to mislead the media and things like that, because I don't think they necessarily are. I just think that it's such a game time type decision for these guys. I mean, we look back to the, to the uh, Portland state game guys. And, and I know the play of Richard Newton, Kim, that was something that really intrigued you, you know, and, and we found out that he got cleared Thursday before the game. I mean, it was, you know, literally almost a game time decision. And I think it's going to be the same thing for, for Jackson Kirkland. And I think it could be game time decision for maybe a couple of other guys as well. So we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with that kind of thing, but even so, Jackson Kirkland's not moving over to right tackle. He's not going to be the one protecting uh, Michael Penix's blind side. That's going to be Roger Rosengarten. And if 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 to me and and Scott, you may have a different opinion, but I think Roger Rosengarten has been the biggest surprise so far on the offense. Oh, I don't disagree with you. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all yeah, on that. Two games, the way he, you know, you look at his pro football focus, 
grades. I mean, he's grading it like 83, 84% um, or whatever, whatever their number is. It, I mean, it's astounding. I mean, and, and you can see why the coaches and, and Scott Huff specifically were so intrigued with him to the point where they moved a two-year starter, Victor Kern, inside and then back outside because they wanted to get Roger Rosengarten in there and get as many snaps in spring and fall as they could to get him ready because they know not only is he the future at that position, but he is the now at that. He's the current guy that should be at that position. And so the the battles between him and Jacoby Winman are going to be, they should be really, really fun to watch. And it's um, much. And as I think as impressive as Roger Rosengarten has been, the guy who's taken over for Jackson Kirkland over at left tackle, Troy Fautano has been really steady, and he brings a nastiness to that offensive line. But I've really been intrigued with Troy Fautano. I, yeah. I, yeah, I fully agree with you there too, Kim. Yeah, and I was going to say, guys, you know, if you watch, if you go back and look at the the first two games, and you see some of the runs out on the edge, like we saw the 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 one with with um, Wayne Telepapa against Kent State where he basically went in untouched on that fourth that first fourth down. Um, you know, Troy Fautano just absolutely folds his guy. I mean it's just it's just and then you see some of these passes out to to Rosengarten side out in the right. You see him just flatten guys and just eating pancakes. Um, these guys are physical. And we've always we've always known that a guy like Fautano was very athletic, very physical. The only thing that was holding him back was something that he couldn't control and that was his size. He's just not a very big guy. He doesn't have real long levers that, you know, most of the the offensive line coaches will want at that level. But Roger Rosengarten is like the quintessential guy. When you look at a guy that's, you know, 6'6", 290, 300 pounds, whatever, um, that guy's built for that position. So it's it's been fun to really watch those guys. But at the same time, when you want to get a guy in there that's a surefire NFL player in Jackson Kirkland, yeah. I'm real intrigued to see how he would react in that kind of a situation. And then also, the, again, we were really surprised with Richard Newton being suited last week. We just we haven't seen Richard Newton suited in a long time. We hadn't even seen him around practice, you know, for a long time. And not only being suited, but getting 10 carries and running with that violent style that he tends to run with, which is something that I didn't think that they had on the roster. And he was definitely a game changer. I'm. How much would you expect to see from Richard Newton? I, I'm expecting to see him sprinkled in, but, um, you know, they really like what Cam Davis is bringing to the table. Will, uh, Wayne Talpapa is their top guy, and he's going to get a lot of the carries. Uh, Will Nixon and Richard Newton, I think, are fighting for those, those scraps at the, with, the third, uh, with the third team. So I'm not third team, but, the, you know, they're third in the rotation, and those guys are going to get a lot of looks. I think what they might, what you might see happen is Will Nixon be more of like a slot guy, and then they'll send him in motion and get him on, on some fly sweeps and things like that because they, they, you really want to get the ball in his hands. He's a, he's a talented kid. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what they end up doing, but I don't know how you can not put Richard Newton in after seeing the way he was running. Well, I think the issue with uh, Richard Newton, I don't know if issue is the right word, is when you know I had a chance to talk to Lee Marks, the running back coach, earlier this week. And if I was to go to the coach and say, hey, coach, I want more carries, what would be the number one reason I would get more carries? And he was pretty blunt to the point. He says, you got to know the playbook because what they're asking these backs to do is so much more than what we've seen in a long time up at Washington because they're so involved in the pass game. But that makes me wonder, you know, if you – 
were to list the guys who know the playbook, you know, one through four, you know, Richard Newton not getting the playing time and not being able to practice, you know, how well does he know that? And is he only going to be available for specific plays where he knows that part of the playbook? Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I, you know, I does he know it? I, I think he probably does, but I, I think we're gonna have to wait and see. Well, it, it was what they said when why why did he, it, it take so long to get him uh, into the game? And they said, well, he wasn't really prepared in the game plan because he hadn't been really taking a lot of carries with the first and second team, and so you know, we, we didn't get him. So he didn't know our play selection and the, the play sheet that we were going to be, that we were going to be using. So we wanted to use him later in the game because we were just literally calling a dive play or a, or a zone read or something like that. It wasn't something where he had to know exactly um, why they were calling this for, for this situation. So um, hopefully he's going to be more involved in the game plan. Um, I think a, a runner like Richard Newton only does you, does you uh pays dividends down the road because just the way he punishes tacklers and punishes the defense you know it he's a guy that you have to get in the game i think to to because of his physicality and this team as much as they like to throw the ball down the field they want to be physical and chris his physicality and the way he runs probably is uh has a lot to do with the amount of time he's been injured while he's been here at washington yeah, I mean, common sense would kind of dictate that that's the case, right? Um, one thing I would add about in terms of preparation, in terms of knowing the playbook, and and Lee Marks obviously 100% correct. I mean, you've got to you've got to know that thing backwards and forwards. You've got to be able to go in there, and whether it's go out on a route or pass protect or whatever, you know, they have to be on it. And that's why bringing in a guy like Wayne Talapapa, who, yeah, Richard Newton may look like the most outwardly physical runner that Washington has. Wayne Talpop is an incredibly physical runner. He just does it in a little different style. And that was his MO back in, in, in Virginia is that that was his, he was a short yardage guy. He was a goal line guy. He scored their touchdowns from one, two yards out because he just would not be denied. And so to, to have multiple guys like that is a real treat. One thing I would say about Newton, and I think I, I noted this in a, in a podcast during fall camp is that even when, he may not have been getting carries during like some of the team periods and some of the more, uh, you know, kind of thud tempo oriented periods where they were trying to wrap up and do some things that were a little bit more physical. And he wasn't ready for that. He was 40, 50 yards down the field, guys, taking the exact physical rep that whatever the whatever the running back is that was in the that was in that particular period, he was 40, 50 yards back doing the exact same motion. So he was not only taking the mental rep that everyone talks about, but he was actually physically trying to do the exact same thing. I thought that was amazing. I'd never really seen that at the time from any other kind of skill player, whether it's a receiver, tight end, whatever. And um, it's a credit to him because he, he even when he wasn't necessarily physically ready to go, guys, he was getting himself ready to go. And we saw how that paid dividends last week. And Scott, your favorite play is one that we've seen more this year than uh, I think we anticipated, and that's the Wildcat. And Wayne Talapapa has been the main guy running that, but last year it was Richard Newton. Yeah, and you could see uh, Will Nixon, I think, taking some reps out of that too. So I think you could see any of the four of the top guys taking reps out of the Wildcat. And could you yes. see? Could you see either um, Talapapa with at uh, Talapapa and Newton on the field at the same time with one of them? Uh, uh, running the wildcat and handing off to the other. 
Yes, I could, but uh, they like to really do that with Giles Jackson too. I mean, he they like to put him in motion and have him be the guy that kind of is is the one drawing the eyes of the defense and see where they go, and then you make the read off of that. So, um, yeah, I could definitely see a situation where you would have uh, Newton and uh, Talapapa be your guys, but um, you know, I. I think there's a lot of different things that they could do that we haven't seen at this point, you know, from a for the personnel pep. standpoint. I'm waiting for them to throw the pep, uh, throw the ball to Michael. Yeah, they're Penance. not going to do that. So <laughs> that, not on the goal line where he can't get the it. The only way I see that happening is maybe him splitting out like they have been doing. He goes split out to the left usually, and um, but maybe you send him out to the right, and then uh, Wayne Talapapa. Uh, takes the snap or Richard Newton takes the snap and they start running to the right and and then they pitch it to Penix who's coming back into you know motioning back and then he throws it from there but I don't think they want to because of Michael uh, Penix's um, I don't know running or uh, health you know health issues that he's had for whatever we want to call it issues problems whatever you want to call it um they want to keep him healthy because I don't know if they completely trust Dylan Morris or Sam Heward to run the run the offense at this point. And um, and if that's the case, you got to keep Michael Penix as healthy as possible. So I think the least amount of hits you can get on him, the better. Speaking of Michael Penix, I think that uh, there's still a little PTSD from uh, Michigan State fans with what Michael Penix has done to them over the last couple of years. We'll talk about that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We're back. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Kim Grinnells with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. 4.30 kickoff today at Husky Stadium. Again, weather expected. I saw a high of 64, but you get down on the lake, it's always a little bit cooler. I think this is not going to be a shorts game for me, but I definitely think it will be another flip-flop days from Monica Samick, who's down on the sidelines with me, who likes to wear those flip-flops all the way until December. So um, it, just a couple of game notes if you're coming from the south end, please be aware that 405 around Newcastle is closed. They're closing it. They closed it last night, and it's going to be closed until Sunday, uh, Sunday late. So uh, traveling south, <clears throat> excuse me, going northbound on 405 is going to be a problem. In addition, Revive I-5 is also going on through the middle of the city. So it's going to be difficult if you're coming from the south end to get to Husky Stadium. Also, 
If you've been to the first couple of games and you're coming in with 10 or 15 minutes before the game, you might not get there till the second quarter. Expect big backups getting into the stadium because this will be the biggest crowd of the year. So uh, I would get in the stadium early. I would leave early and just be prepared for all of that. So, um, it, Chris, any other game notes? I want to talk about Michael Penix, but anything else pregame that we want to let fans know about prior to getting into that? Yeah, it's a purple out. Wear purple. Yeah. All right. That's the Scott, biggest thing. Wear purple. Scott, did you hear that? Yes. Okay. I'm not wearing purple. Don't worry. Okay. None of us we are wearing keep purple. An eye on, we got to keep an eye on the intern, though. There we go. Hey, um, it, talking to the Michigan State guys, uh, they're very, very familiar with Michael Penix, who's had some really good games against him in, in the past. And, Chris, I know you've broken down some of those games as well. Well, it's interesting. Because of the COVID year, uh, 19 and 20, he that both those games were played in East Lansing. So they were both road games for Indiana. And so the 19 game was the one where DeBoer was the, the offensive coordinator. Uh, do you guys know who the offensive coordinator for Indiana was in 2020? Pretty sure it was Nick Sheridan, right? Uh-huh. So Washington happens to have both of Indiana's coordinators that Penix used uh, in Kalen DeBoer and Nick Sheridan, who's now the tight ends coach at Washington. But he, he has a very, very active role on the sidelines during game days. He's the one that basically is Penix's coach because Ryan Grubb, his regular quarterback's coach, is going to be up in the booth calling plays. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. But, yes, the, the history with Michael Penix going up against Michigan State is interesting because the DeBoer year, um, it was more of a shootout, and they lost, uh, Indiana lost 40-31. to 31. Um but Penix had a really, really strong day, kind of one of his breakout games uh, early in his career. And then the next year when they had to go back to East Lansing, uh, they were top 10 at the time, Indiana was, and they shut out Michigan State 24 nothing. And so, you know, obviously Penix had a really strong day that day and, and leading the leading the Hoosiers to a, to a pretty, pretty big win. Um, so, yeah, they understand how accurate he is. Um, kind of the threat that he can be. Obviously, I don't think they feel like he's going to be as big a threat with his legs as maybe he has been in the past, and I think that's true. Um, but there's no doubt that the the accuracy, the the ability for him to get in and out of plays the way they need to, to get them into the right situations against the defenses that he sees, these are all things that when he lines up and he sees that green and he sees that white, He's gonna. He's he should be pretty familiar with what's gonna happen. Hey Scott, we talked about this in the podcast before, but uh, you know when we were talking about you know spring ball and fall ball and taking a look at the three quarterbacks on that battle, that if you didn't know who was who, it would be different. It would be difficult for you to tell us who the number one or the number three quarterback was. And just what we've saw uh, seen so far from Michael Penix. This isn't the same Michael Penix that I saw, you know, during those two camps, because he's definitely taken things to another level. Or maybe he was and we just weren't seeing it at camp because of the limitations that were placed upon us. But he's really a lot better that we've seen in the games than what we've seen at practice. Oh, I fully agree with you on that. Yeah. But I think a lot of it, like you said, Kim, is because we only got to see certain amounts of practice and and, um, you know, we. We didn't get to see the full thing. So um, I think that's a lot, a lot of what we got to just take 
this is where you trust the coaches because they're going to put the best guy in who can run their offense. And, and um, right now I think it's Michael Penix, but um, you know, Dylan Morris is going to have to be ready. Sam Heward is going to have to be ready. I think it's been great that they've been able to get reps the last two weeks. And uh, I don't think they're going to get reps this week because I don't think there will be any cleanup. Um, and hopefully Michael Penix is staying healthy so they don't have to get in there. But um, I, I think you're going to see them try and get those guys as many reps as possible because, as we've said many times, I said it earlier in this podcast, Michael Penix has not lasted more than six games into a season. And so this is the backup is going to need to be ready. And the coaches are going to have to trust that backup. So I think right now it's probably uh, Dylan Morris over Sam Heward. But, you know, I we don't see practice. And, you know, what we see out on the field is kind of a mixed bag for both of those guys. Has Michael Penix been sacked this year? He has not. He did get hit um, by uh, he did get hit by uh, Portland State a little bit more than he did against Kent State, but uh, no, he has not been sacked. I want to say, well, say both Morris and Heward have been sacked, though. Yeah, I, I know Heward got sacked, but that was on the he, – he just didn't make a good read and got sacked for like, I don't know, 20-some-odd yards or whatever it was, or 17 yards or whatever it was. But yeah, the, um, I can't remember Dylan, but yeah. I thought it was yeah. the very, very first play uh, that he came in on, but maybe he just got hit. Oh, okay. Yeah, the point being is Michael Penix hasn't really been hit. I mean, he's taken a couple, but he, we really haven't seen no. uh, him get uh, him get hit. And it's not no. a case of happy feet either, guys. He stood in the pocket real strong. I just think that the offensive line has done a fantastic job of giving him that giving him that nice pocket to, to go in and and he's figured out a way to kind of slide in and out. I mean, it's not like he's really eluded a ton of guys either. I suspect he's going to have to uh, today, but it's it's um, one of those things where they've just done a nice job. And then when they've needed to maybe roll him out a time or two, that's you know, he's done that. And then also he's done a nicer job of if he sees it he's going to escape through the pocket instead of keep going backwards. And we've seen that over the years and that's a disaster. Yeah. Again, you know, just been really impressed with him. And then in addition, the wide receiver core has really taken it up a notch, which is what we expected. Yeah. I, I totally expected McMillan and Odunzi and Polk and, and Davis to all be stalwarts and they, and they have been now uh, Davis was kind of, I don't want to say he was left out of the game plan, but they just didn't go his way very much this last game. But Polk got a got a um, got a touchdown this past week. Uh, uh, Romo Dunsey didn't really play uh, last week, and so Jalen McMillan kind of took over. Had a big day. Giles Jackson had a big day. I'm this this uh, this uh, wide receiver group. I don't think they're any any threat to the top wide receiver groups in the country, but they're 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 right up there. They're they're up there, and uh, you know I could see them being a top twenty. Um, wide receiver group in the country when it's all said and done. These guys are, other than Giles Jackson, they all have good size. They all have decent speed to great speed. Um, they have good hands. They can go up and get the ball. This group is is pretty fun to watch. And I think we knew that was going to be the case. It was just with the offense the last couple of years, it wasn't showcased. But this one, this offense is showcasing that. Yeah, I just think it's it's a situation where, first of all, I didn't, I didn't realize that Roma Dinze wasn't going to play. So that was a bit of a shock for the Portland State game. Obviously, he's another one of the go- those guys. When we talk about Jordan Perry, when we talk about Jackson Kirkland, if Roma Dunze is not a- available for this particular game, that that would be a bit of a shock. Now, they obviously made up for it 
last weekend against Portland State, much different uh, opponent, for instance, but still they were able to make up the numbers. You know, we've been able to see a couple guys show up, uh, Junior Alexander, and then to a lesser extent, Denzel Boston was a guy that we probably didn't expect to see as much. Now, with some mop-up duty and those types of things, he's gotten some opportunities, but he's even shown up in more high-leverage situations than I would have believed going into the season, Scott, and he's done really, really well. So I know the storyline is is that people are going to focus on Jeremy Bernard as being the freshman to watch for Michigan State, but I kind of wonder if Washington isn't going to throw Denzel Boston out there a little bit because we've already seen him try to stretch to the defense. We've seen him with a rushing touchdown already. We've seen him not shy away from the physical part of it, which for any true freshman, that's kind of the one thing you really want to find out is whether or not they can kind of handle the rigors of the game at this level. And he's certainly passed that test so far through two games with flying colors. Oh, I absolutely believe that. I, I, I think that uh, Denzel Boston has a, has the ability to really be a, a big play wide receiver in this offense. I think it's probably going to take a year or two for that to really come to fruition because uh, you know, he's, He's so young and and he's got some really good wide receivers in front of him, but he's got every bit of the ability to be become a really nice threat for uh, the Huskies in the, in this offense and the way they showcase it. And Scott, I think when they uh, got the commitment from Denzel Boston, a lot of uh, you know the people who follow recruiting just kind of yawned, just thought he was another tall, skinny wide receiver, but uh, he's showing a lot more than that, and he wasn't a really highly touted guy coming out. He wasn't, but I mean, he goes to Emerald Ridge where, you know, they've just started to really churn out some D1 guys. They've already got a commit from, uh, you know, uh, Jacob Lane, um, his teammate, who's uh, going to be enrolling in the 2023 uh, recruiting class. So um, but they don't they don't produce a ton of talent down there and, and they haven't had the greatest quarterbacks down there. They have Jake Shakel now who can throw the ball around a little bit. And and uh, but he came up, he impressed the old staff at their. Uh, rising stars camp that they used to do with the top guys that they wanted to see in, in person on their campus. And, and he got an offer right after that. He committed pretty quickly after that. So um, he's not a guy who was highly touted. I think he had maybe, maybe like Oregon state or Washington state was after him a little bit and, and maybe some mountain West schools and then some FCS schools, but he didn't really get a lot of big time looks, but I think he's going to be a guy who's going to surprise some people. Yeah. And, Tim, I would add too, honestly, one of the reasons why I think people poo-pooed Boston's commitment and signing maybe even more than they would have normally was because of the loss of Jeremy Bernard. That was right. that when you when you coupled those two things together, because you kind of have to, you don't really have to conflate them, but you have to kind of put them in contact with each other. And when they lost Bernard, all of a sudden it was like, well, all you're left with is Denzel Boston, and that's where people were like, oh, that's not enough, and and what have you. But I think. Just through two games, Boston has shown himself to be maybe more of an impact guy than than a lot of people thought. Well, I think the big thing is, is when we talk to Coach Shepard, he talks about how his his wide receivers need to be physical. And it just seems that Boston has taken to that uh, coaching of being physical. He's taken it a lot better than a lot of wide receivers would because, you know, Coach Shepard is expecting a lot out of his wide receivers. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that... um, you know, his reputation and, and, and it was a well-deserved one from what he was able to do with the guys at Purdue. And so that's why Washington fans were, were extremely excited when a guy like Jamarcus Shepard comes in for, for a coach like Junior Adams. 
and uh, and it's immediately paid dividends. And I think you've seen that in a lot of the physical play going up and, and getting some things, but also just the route running. I mean, yes, Penix has been very, very accurate. But part of that is, is that there's an understanding that Penix knows that these receivers are going to be on their spot at a certain time where he can even throw in and out of their breaks and whatnot. And he knows they're going to be there. And that comes down to coaching. And and obviously, these guys have been coached very, very well so far. Scott, um, I don't know if you're as surprised as I am, but just the first couple of day, games, you know, where, you know, the pretty much the football mentality is when you have those two easier games, you want to hold something back, you know, and not show the opposition much, you know, with that opposition being Michigan State down the road. But this coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball, they've opened it up and actually showed quite a bit. Yeah, they have. I mean, they've, they've thrown the ball down the field. They've they've shown that they were willing to do some wildcat, which, like we said earlier, is is something that surprised us a little bit, that they're running wildcat as much as they are. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see what new wrinkles we might have. Will there be some more screen passes to wide receivers? Will we see more screen passes to running backs? We haven't seen a lot of those yet. So, um, the, and, and the screen pass, if, if um, Michigan State is going to get uh, I, am I wrong? They they lead the country in sacks. Is that correct? If they're not, sure they if do. they're not the top, they're right near the top. They're right there. Yeah. So um, this is a team who likes to get after the quarterback. Well, what's the best way to stop a pass rush? Screen pass. And, and Chris, I think you're going to see more of those. Yeah, they're Chris, averaging six sacks a game. That's tops of the country right now. Chris, when we saw Fresno State last year, at the last last couple of games, they were throwing it at the backs out of the backfield quite a bit, and we just haven't seen that much this year. So is that the wrinkle you expect to see today, is them throwing more to the backs out of the backfield? And- well, I, I don't know. I mean, they've seen, they've thrown to the backs. I just don't think they've necessarily thrown them screens. They've, they've thrown more of those passes out to the flat, kind of those quick little, um, you know, just, just those quick little flat routes. It's just not, not something that's very sexy. But if you can get a running back in space going downfield and they've got three or four yards on a, on a DB or, or a linebacker coming through the middle of the field, you know, you can get a first down that way. And they've, they've shown that with guys like Telepapa and Cameron Davis for sure. So I think they've, they've gotten to the opportunities where they can do that. Maybe, you know, to more to your point, maybe this is an opportunity where they unleash Will Nixon a little bit more than they have. We're obviously going to see in a few hours. Yeah. Scott, big recruiting weekend for Washington. They've got a lot of guys in, you know, not a lot in the first two games. Everything was kind of geared towards this week uh, and the Michigan State game. We may have another big recruiting weekend for a conference game later on in the year. But uh, right now, just taking a look at what's going on with guys coming in and guys that will be on the sidelines pregame. It's a pretty impressive list. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, you got Diesel Gordon and and uh, David Peavy to. Uh, one's a commit. Diesel Gordon is a commit out of Texas, and David Peavy's a linebacker prospect that Washington's made a big move on uh, from Southern California. Those are the two uh, guys we know of that are going to be here for official visits. And then got a lot of commits who are going to be up, um, at least five that I'm aware of, if not six, if you include Landon Hatchett, who will make the second half of the game. Anthony James, Elisha Jacket, Rashid Williams, Kali, uh, Kali Tafai. And Jacob Blaine are all expected to be on campus. I've already mentioned um, Jacob Blaine at Reese earlier. Um, then you'll have, uh, you know, I think a bunch of local guys that'll be here. Uh, Devin Brooks, an offensive lineman out of uh, Oregon that Washington was one of the first to offer. He, um, he'll he be up. 
Uh, Logan Saldade um, out of Palma. He's a wide receiver down there. Really good one. Um, you know, you've got LeVar Talley out of Santa Margarita Catholic. Uh, he's an edge player. Um, you've got, you just got a lot of really good prospects. Jason Brown is going to be here, the running back from uh, O'Day. Braden Platt, the top linebacker in the state from Yelm. Uh, Rayshon Clark from uh, Federal Way. He's another one. EJ Kamenong, the quarterback from Garfield. All these are 2024 guys. They'll all be on campus. I think you'll see some 2025 guys come in as well. So lots of guys who are going to be on campus. Um, And that's just a handful of the guys. I mean, you're talking uh, quite a few more guys I think that we'll see um, that I haven't even mentioned here. But Brandon Huffman had a good list that he put out on the boards um and, and on our front page uh earlier this week so just go to the recruiting board and he'll have that but we'll we'll have as many names as possible that we recognize and see um uh for you guys before uh before the game big contingent from ford sports tracy g ford sounds like he's bringing all of his guys down a lot of them yeah a lot of them are coming yep yeah so it'll be it's gonna be a crowded sideline pregame scott yes it will be not a bad thing not a bad thing <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think I I think guys, just to add something real quick, I just think that this is going to be such an anomaly. Um, You know, this Courtney Morgan, the director of recruiting, you know, he's going to maybe target a weekend or two during the season because obviously there's been a trend where guys want to commit before the season starts so they can focus on their seasons at the high school level. Same goes with the college guys; they really want to put all their energies to the product on the field. So recruiting almost kind of takes a little bit of a hiatus during the seasons. But there are going to be some moments where you can really showcase that game day atmosphere from start to finish. And this is going to be one of those one of those real marquee moments for Washington early in the in the DeBoer tenure. And so I can't really underscore how important this is going to be for Washington to play a really, really strong game, because even if they lose like on a last second field goal, for instance, or what have you, the energy and the enthusiasm and the environment should be so electric that that will leave a lasting impression on all the recruits that show up, no matter what class they're from, no matter what part of the, the country they're from. And that's going to be, that's going to be huge. Absolutely. It's a huge game for Washington. You know, if they beat, if they're able to beat Michigan state today, they're ranked next week. And, you know, we just with last, uh, last year and then the COVID year and then Chris Peterson's last year, you know, the, um, the buzz around the program has waned a little bit, and this could be definitely something that would jumpstart not only the fan base, but uh, also the recruiting aspect. Because Scott, we, I mean, covering recruiting, we've heard it. A lot of recruits just didn't know what to expect, and that uncertainty has caused some pause. But I think that you know, a win against Michigan State will open the eyes of a lot more recruits. Absolutely, absolutely, it will. And if if any quarterback is watching this this offense and any wide receiver is watching this offense and they don't want to be a part of it, then they don't want to be a part of a successful team. <laughs> They're just going for the money because, I mean, I just I, I have a hard time understanding how you would not want to be a part of this offense. Now, there's other offenses that are going to be really good and and that are really good and, and showcase guys. So they might end up going to those other schools. But Washington is going to be right in for some of the top quarterbacks, wide receivers and even some running backs that are willing to catch the ball out of the backfield uh, to to uh, to be a part of something like this. Final thoughts, Chris Fetters. Just that the the, the storylines going into the game today. I mean, there's a dozen of them, and it just ultimately it, it it starts to me with which Washington team are we going to finally see, and which Michigan State team is going to show up. 
if the ranked Michigan State team shows up, the top 10 team Michigan State shows up, it could be a long day for Washington. But if the Washington team shows up like they've performed and how efficient that they've been on offense the first two games, if they show up defensively like they did against Portland State and only allowed 130 yards of total offense, it could end up being a long day for Michigan State. To me, this this has so many vibes of like Stanford 2016. Because up until that game, Washington had played well, but it was early in the season. I don't think anyone really expected Washington to show up and necessarily just blitz the lights out of Stanford. But it was two top 10 teams at the time, and it was a toss-up game. Which team was going to show up? And I just have I just have similar vibes about this game. I just don't know which teams are going to show up. Both teams have a lot on the line this early in the season. Can't wait to watch it. Scott, I know Washington's uh, favored by, uh, what, three, three and a half points, but it sure seems like a pick 'em game to me. But uh, just, you know, final thoughts. It is, absolutely it is. And, and Chris, I, I don't disagree with your points that you made about the Stanford, but it, it has more of the vibes of um, uh, USC in, what was that, 09? Yes, Maybe, Sarkeesian's yeah. first year. Yeah, Sar- yeah, Sarkeesian's first year, only because this is Kalen DeBoer's first year here yep. and and well there's still definitely tr- there's definitely sc09 vibes there's no yeah, doubt about that yeah and Let's- and i just i just can't get past that i i'm not seeing stanford 2016 only because we we thought washington was really good going into that season and they had an experienced team what was jake uh jake uh um geez louise jake browning and uh miles gaskin were here their defense was strong. They still had a lot of uh, Sark recruits that uh, Peterson and his staff had coached up, and and all that. I I just I I just I I don't think we thought that this team was on the same level of that 2016 team. I I understand where you're going with it. I just I I it's the it's the USC 09 for me. And yeah, but, I'm just uh, looking at it yeah. from the atmosphere standpoint. Yeah. Honestly. Oh no, I agree. Like, I, I don't agree. I don't know if there's been a more electric atmosphere since 2006. And that was a Friday night game, or was it, it a was. Thursday night game? Yeah, that was it a Friday was, night but game. It was, yeah. It was like a 5:30, 6 o'clock game. This is kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. I just like I said, I just think that there's some un, even though that both those teams were on similar levels, there just seemed at that time looking back on it i don't did anyone see washington just exploding like that and going crazy i didn't i don't i thought they would i thought they were gonna win but i didn't think they what did they hold uh uh, mccaffrey to he was a heisman trophy candidate and would they they hold him held him to like 30 yards or something like that so um i just don't know if we're gonna see something like that but i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying it just feels like the energy kind of pregame going into it with to me there's there's not similar unknowns, but just unknowns. Like, I don't know which team's going to show up. I really don't. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what's so intriguing about it. And that's why I predicted, I, I didn't want to predict against the Huskies, but that's why if you go back and look at yesterday's uh, predictions, I made the prediction and I'm the only one uh, who made the prediction that Washington will lose this game by 10. But um, you know, I, I think Washington could easily win this game. I think Michigan State is – I think they're a little overrated from a from a uh, ranking standpoint. I think they're still a good team. I just don't think they're – what are they, number 11 in the country? I, I, I just don't see that. So, um, but what's, your history, what's your history been like when, you, when you've been the one that's bucked the trend? Well, the, the biggest one – the biggest win for me 
was when uh, it was in Tyrone Willingham, <laughs> the Tyrone Willingham era. But I picked Washington to beat Arizona, and everybody went against me. And that was the one where uh, Isaiah Stanback hits Chris Chambers for the long touchdown at halftime, and and uh, Washington goes on and wins the game. But more often than not, I'm wrong. So and let let's hope that this weekend I am wrong in going against the trend, and I'm more than happy to be two and one entering uh, next week. But um, I I just I think Michigan State's offensive line is going to – I don't think – I think until Washington proves they can stop the run on a regular basis, uh, and, and they have so far, but against two inferior teams. This is a team that likes to run the ball and play physical football. Can Washington stop the run? So if Washington can stop the run, I think they do – I think they are going to win this game. But I think until they prove they can do that, that's really going to be the key. Offensively, I think Washington has to get it done through the air. I think they have to keep Michael Penix upright. I think their defensive line and linebackers are really going to key on the run to make Washington as one-dimensional as possible. And then, you know, it's going to be up to Penix and the offensive line to work together and, and create some opportunities for the wide receivers downfield. I, I think Washington has a good chance to win this game. I just didn't feel it when I sent in my prediction. And taking a look at what's gone on so far this season, I think we're finally going to get a chance to see what we've been waiting for for a long time, and that's what kind of a team do uh, you really have in the Washington Huskies. The first two opponents were pretty much, again, preseason games, not to disrespect or diminish those wins by any means, but uh, I think we're going to really find out because I think Michigan State is a very, very good team. If they were in the Pac-12, they would definitely be in the hunt for the title, so we'll get a good chance to see what indeed we do have with the Washington Huskies and just uh, kind of looking forward to seeing what new wrinkles that the coaching staff puts in as well as, you know, uh, we'll be right by the tunnel when the guys come out and we'll definitely be looking at who's suited, who's not suited and uh, who's there and who's not there. So just make sure you keep it to uh, keep it turned on to dogman.com uh, on the game day board and we'll be all over it. So uh, 4:30 kickoff again, be prepared if you're coming from the south end. Leave early. Get in the stadium early. It will be backed up uh, getting into the stadium. So uh, we're telling you right now, you've been forewarned. So taking the light rail in might be the might be the easy answer and the easiest way to get there and to get back home. So uh, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eckland. Go dogs. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.